0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon, and today uh, we have a special guest, uh, our friend Jared Garcia. Welcome, Jared. Hey, how's it going, James? Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's really a privilege to talk to you today. Sure, and um, and and people on on Twitter may be familiar with Jared uh, under his handle Jedi Camper. Um, you know, I, I've known Jared for a little while now. And we've discussed a lot about um, CE5, human-initiated contact heists. Um, so, so today here, um, uh, Jared actually had recently given a presentation in, in Roswell, New Mexico, on the subject um, and and research into it. So, just just to start off, right, Jared, um, you know, when we say CE5 and heists, um, what are your what are your best definitions for that? Oh, that's really good.
1: Well, for sure today, I'll use the, the the authors of the research, their definitions of what CE5 or human-initiated contact is. The definition I'm most interested in is probably when there's a, um, for lack of a better word, like a consciousness-based human effort to initiate contact or through meditation or something with their thoughts or their mind, and if any response um, comes from that. And so um, that form of human initiation of using your thoughts or your mind or... Um, or something about your consciousness in order to initiate is the intersection that I'm most interested in.
0: Yeah. And of course, people, people on this channel are going to be familiar with CE5 and, and heist and human initiated contact events, because it's something that I cover frequently. Um, but in case we have a, a new listener or just for, even for a good review, um, do you have a, um, a preferred method of, of CE5 or heist in particular or do you kind of do your own thing? You know, um, I, I I guess it's kind of my own thing. It's
1: definitely something that evolved in a personal journey of mine as far as like what I'm saying in my head or the how I'm kind of going about my meditation um, prior to that. But um, that is, I guess it's been learned. Or I've picked up things from just other people. I'm not using any specific protocols that have been outlined in the past in any, any way.
0: Um, so yeah, I'd say it's something that's more of... Um, is that is that good enough, or do you want like more specifics? Well, yeah, I, w- I was going to get there. So, okay. and I completely understand because I think even somebody who starts off with using like um, we can, you know, the the generic protocols, right? Say somebody is using the CE five protocol protocols as taught by Dr. Stephen Greer, or somebody's using the Rama protocols by Mission Rama. I think after a practice, you know, everybody kind of gets into their own groove and will eventually use their own protocol um i think that's something that naturally develops over time uh because you you know that's you know in in my experience in my opinion contact is kind of like a personal journey and and with that you're going to have your own inclinations and things that you prefer and things that you just try and find out works very well for you so you know if, if you know for your process what's what's in, you know in, in simple form what what do you do when you go out sure um I mean
1: first is is an act of just kind of quieting my mind so that might start off just as as I would start off most meditations with like a body scan or um just kind of bringing my consciousness into different parts of my body and again that's really just an effort to kind of stop thinking about the normal things of my daily daily type anxieties and stuff like that and so after I've done that for a while um I might even continue meditating, right? Um, Whether that's focusing on my breath or certain mantras, but again, just some way to have something very simple to think about so that um, I'm not so caught up in just, oh, I need to do this or think about that. Or so just that process of kind of quieting my mind. And then in my personal journey, so like when I'm getting into this contact stuff now, if I feel like I'm kind of in a meditative spot, um, I might... It set consent, just basically, you know, be intentional that I'm not out here for anything negative or malicious or anything like that. And then from there, um, and that's really brief, but so from there, there's some basic visualization of, of like, basically sending love into the universe. Um, I might think of something that happened during my day, or, you know, that reminds me of love or something like that. But, um, but yeah, it just uh, a basic visualization of just sending love out into the universe and then, um, and then asking for contact. And so, um, with that, I, and again, I think the language is probably will be most individual to people, right. You know, so I don't want people to get hung up on like the words, but that's where I'll, I'll try to be intentional about the, the type of, um, uh, entity or whatever, or, you know, intelligence that I'm trying to make contact ones that are more good and loving and peaceful and kind and, um, and things like that. And so from there, um, I'll be yeah, basically end with like, yes, and I'd like to make
0: peaceful and loving contact tonight, And then uh, I'll go look out at the stars. For sure. And um, just before we get into some of the material that you, that you covered in, in your research that um, you gave a presentation on, uh, I just, I would like to ask, cause I, you know, I don't, what, what, how did you find CE5 and Heist and contact and, you know, how did you get into it? Oh man. Yeah. Um... I mean, that goes back to kind of the start
1: of of how I got into UFOs at all, which I wasn't planning so much to talk about. But I'll just just go into it. That sounds good. So, um, I mean, as well, I grew up religious as like an atheist worldview for a few years. I was just doing some backyard astronomy in October of 2020. And for four nights in a row, there was this light that was flashing at irregular intervals that seemed fairly stationary in the sky. And um and and I just begun kind of getting interested into the UFOs. I only because I read that the Pentagon. This is not at 2019, but a year later. I just read that in 2019, the Pentagon had confirmed that these three videos released were somehow genuine. Right. Um, not necessarily uh, stating their origin or anything, but just saying that they're indeed of UAP, you know, and that just really um didn't fit. I, I was just so curious about that. Right. It didn't make sense to me. I thought that was kind of. Um, a joke, to be honest, right? Uh, UFOs at that point. And so with the seriousness of the Pentagon, kind of with those three videos, that kind of started me down the rabbit hole. And so I found myself a few months later in October with that sighting. And then from there, and that was for four days in a row. And on the fourth day, I remember calling my wife out and just, just to get another set of eyes on it. Like, what is yeah. this thing out there? Because the magnitude of the flashing is, is so bright, right? Compared to stars and um, other celestial objects. you know, it's like if a plane was like really, really, really low, you know, just over some suburban neighborhood or something. Right. And those are like almost as bright as the flashes look, but it's clearly something very far away. And, um, and so then that led me just down like a curious, you know, trying to reconcile that with my worldview at the time. And so um, well, you know, is this I, I'm just trying to look for prosaic answers for like four months, basically. You know, geosynced stationary satellites that are spinning and glistening, but then why wouldn't they always be there, right? If it's really geo-locked, you know, wouldn't I see it every night or during certain seasons it should repeat, you know? Um, but, you know, w- whatever I could find. And then in that hunt, I was looking at Reddit or, you know, social media place, just to, I was trying to find video of things that flashed at night, right? That were kind of stationary. And that led me to finding excuse me, videos of people's CE5s and uh where the you know what the video is about is CE five. What I couldn't find was any authority of like um astronomy society or anything like that that said, oh we know what that is. That's this thing, right? And here's like clear video of it. So um so then at some point I'm watching um Luis Elizondo's interviews now and it's
0: in f- you want you want me just to go all the way <laughs> yeah you can go a little bit more if you want okay that's fine. okay yeah it's fine because i think it's a, I, I, I like to hear people's stories and you know because sure, i think sure. that's important to you know how everything came about sure sure so then in february of 2021 20, um, so just a, a few short months
1: after there i was um watching one of um, jay from product unity's early interviews with Luis elizondo and at the end not really knowing like nothing about jay right um this is like basically my first time watching jay and, um, and at the end, Jay's talking about some of his own experiences, like at yeah. the very end of this yeah. interview and, and Lisa Lozano really didn't like, uh, like go one way or the other, but just listened. Right. You know, but with, and there was just something in that moment, his body language, listening to Jay, right. I was, I was just, um, I kind of caved in to my, to my beliefs. Cause I, this had been sitting on me for a few months. And I remember saying something in my head along the lines of like, the universe must be more mysterious than I've allowed it to be right um like i've put it in a box and it just must be much way more bigger than this and then in that moment i had um for like 10 12 maybe 15 minutes like immediately after that i had some sort of spontaneous spiritual awakening or um kundalini i know this is none of my language that i had at this point right this all kind of discovered language since then but um but a very unitive kind of spiritual experience that was, um, the most visceral, like uh, spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. And, um, yeah, I remember walking back in my bedroom to my wife and just being like, something just happened to me. Right. I mean, it was like, yeah. you know, and I can go into more detail with that, but basically it felt very like energetic, um, almost like I'm being not electrocuted, not shivering, but just like vibrating almost uh, very tightly though. And there was this, um, Feel the this feeling or experience, I should say, of just my consciousness, just kind of like looking at things beyond me, and and the more that I looked at like the grass in my backyard, or you know, just mentally, right, thinking about these things, but as it kind of poured over, uh, it just felt this very unitive, like oneness or loving, like everything was connected in love, and it was um and it was very strong, and so then after that, James, it was like that was some sort of like cracking point. And then the, the, maybe like the next six months on like a, you know, with the leveling off, there was just this explosion of kind of high strangeness that then kind of teetered off for a long time. But, um, looking back then, you know, on that time, I started to go back out then, especially the first community I find was, um, you know, project unity and, and there's some CE5 background there. Right. So then I started to experiment with that thinking this is what happened in October. And to my surprise, it just that relationship began and started to flourish
0: more. For sure, yes, yeah, see, I, I, did, I had never heard that whole, yeah, you know, which um, that's I, uh, you know, it's it's incredible to hear a story like that. Yet, um, you know, in in you know, people who have had contact, you hear similar themes time and time again, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, I I know you want to get into your into some of the research you've been doing and and the the presentation you gave at Roswell. So, um, by all means, um you had done a presentation uh, on CE5 and human initiated contact and research sure. papers that had been done on that. So do you want to go into that? Sure. I'll try my best to segue into this. Cause I was like, that was definitely like woo
1: woo. Right. So that's, that's, I get it. And so, you know, I, I think my mind um, wanted to turn to academia to better understand, right. Uh, you know what these things were or what was happening here during these circumstances. And um You know even on something like a kundalini experience i could find research in medical journals right on spontaneous spiritual awakenings or other things like this um or you know you could find things on near-death experiences or there's a ton of research right now on psychedelic research right but when it came to ce5 human issue contact there was just it felt like a vacuum there just wasn't a lot there right and so um so i was i was very excited when I did find two papers by Dr. Cost Navarro, which I'll share on today, and then this book by Dr. Haynes, um, the article is being submitted to a journal, and then this book being written by a PhD, and you get the feel for it, it's, it's like a very academic, um, excited to find some work there, right, but um, in general, I felt like there was kind of that void, and so um you know i made this presentation if you will of something that i would have wanted to hear right you know i um, knowing that there's at least a little bit out there and um this is what we do know about or the research so far is on ce5 or human initiated contacts, and then um, where can we go from here so so yeah so i think what's um the is is uh well yeah so let's get into it i'll share my screen is that okay sure
0: yeah
1: i'm in infinity mirror for like one second and i think we should be okay is this okay yeah yeah okay cool so um so and thanks for all having time to do this so look looking at this research there's two papers here by dr acosta navarro and i'll get into his background and profile the first one and i'll slow down extraterrestrials contact human beings an original approach to set the authenticity of alleged close encounters of the fifth kind i mean you read that title it's really exciting right like what there's an art there's Something out here that's trying to set the authenticity of alleged CE5 cases it sounds rad. And then about five years later, he published a follow-up paper called the, and I've been working on this word, the Epimetheus 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 Epimetheus. Epimetheus project, searching for new authentic contactees and the scientific information. Basically, this is a follow-up paper based on his first, using the same strategies that he used in the first one. And then lastly, like I mentioned was his book, it's called CE5, it's 242 Case Files, uh, Exposing uh, Alien Contact by Dr. Richard Haynes. And then lastly, which I'm really excited to talk to you, James, is about like, this is the existing research and then like, how can we build off, off of it, right? And where do we go from here with research using these things? um hopefully his work in your youtube but here's some qr codes to those first two papers by acosta navarro um just in case anyone wants to have those links and then when we get off I'll also send you the links just so you can include them in the description that those are, are there so um just real quick on his background he's a medical doctor holding multiple phds his first was in biological science his second was in social science he's currently working um I think he's a cardiologist with heart research, also looking at diet, but his background is in medicine and that's where he came from. So when he introduces his paper, how did he get from there to here? He talks about um, uh, basically there's limited scientific interest in studying conscious contact experiences with, with ECI or extraterrestrial intelligence. So, um, and I think he says there's maybe, yeah, there's some psychological analysis of of alleged inductions that might try to profile people's, mental states, but not really kind of taking the phenomenon seriously and looking at these consciousness type interactions. Um, And so he aims to fill the gap in that. And that's his goal, which makes a lot of sense, as I already talked about that, there's that lack of research. So then um, this is really important. I'm just going to bring your attention. You can ignore the pictures here. Just this bottom one, which is Dr. Costa Navarro's definition for CE5. And so for him, it's a more advanced contact involving conscious communication and reception of information. So I'll say that again. So for him, what CE5 is, what he's looking into is contact involving conscious communication and the reception of information so that you can see how that can involve maybe Greer's protocols or something like that. But it's going to be broader because it's going to be um, addressing kind of that consciousness um, interaction in general. So... um, Although I'll mention he does he does is one of his cases he covers and covers Mission Rama so he's not like anti also human initiation using consciousness but he is looking at conscious communication in, um, more focusedly. so um, yeah basically he so he, as a medical doctor he, he creates his team it's going to be called the Final Contact Project this is the first effort to go and uh, authenticate or apply a probability of authenticity to these CE five cases um, they're going to use purposeful sampling looking into the past. Um, primary sources, interviews, if they can, recordings, um, Second, secondary sources when possible, but they are kind of looking in the past. And then each case was independently analyzed by two researchers. And if they couldn't agree, they would bring in a third researcher. So there's always two people involved looking at the cases. Obviously, the goal in that decision was to limit bias as he looks at, through all these cases. And so the main way that he's slicing up this data, James, is through uh, 12 criteria. Six of them are subjective and then six are objective. Each are worth one point when they apply them to the case. And then obviously that the cases with higher scores will, um, will have a, a higher likelihood of being considered um, high probability, but I'll get into the structure which defines high probability. And then lastly, when using these rules to, to, for authenticity, he does mention the rationale of using an approach with criterions. Is based in long or based in long empirical knowledge is accepted in other areas of knowledge in medicine. For example, the criterion of Jones in order to diagnose rheumatic fever, and so um, he does bring up that this method of using criterions in order to diagnose something um, or you know apply a probability is used in other um, disciplines. And so the the in order for the case to be considered authentic or I'm sorry, in order for the case to be considered having a high probability of authenticity, it would need to meet all of these six subjective criteria, and then one more objective criteria within those six objective ones. And so the subjective ones involve consistency, that there's not contradictions to the events, coherence logic, that the sequence of the events and everything told um, is is sounds logical, pragmatism, um, the witnesses openness and willingness of the alleged contactee to provide information without evasive behavior. New contribution, um, any unique intellectual or scientific insights, sensory, sensorial perception, and then intuition experience, and that's lastly by the researcher just kind of making an informed judgment about the case's authenticity. So those are all subjective. The objective criteria involve whether other witnesses present, um, paranormality, like witnesses. Witnessed admiral uh, phenomenon beyond explanation, telepathy, things like this. Presence of physical evidence, so films, things like this. Body evidence, injuries, scars, kind of biofeedback there. program contact, so uh, valid if the announcement of future contact was made to others, especially like journalists and news reporters and things like this. And then later scientific proof, um, if any of this knowledge comes to be found out is true, that would count as a point. But these would be things that could be uh, measured as objectively true. And so I kind of talked about this, but to be considered high probability, uh, I have a high probability of authenticity. Then you meet all six subjective, and then one objective. For low probability, that would be cases that have five or fewer subjective. So you don't even, if you don't even get the first six, then it's just low probability that this is a real case according to their research. And then inconclusive would meet. We don't have a lot of that, so that's fine. But the high probability you get all six subjective, and then one objective so in his first effort this is the final contact project or fcp they looked at 102 cases they lost 30 to insufficient data so that narrowed it down to 72 and then from here they applied the 12 criteria rule in those two researchers looking at each case and then you can see in the bottom row here what it, what would end up happening so 47 were low probability they didn't get those first subjective ones even met and then 25 um, of them became high probability so a smaller portion but yet some significance here of being counted high probability. So this chart's gonna highlight that. So if you look at the blue bottom bar that goes all the way across, these are code names for their cases. Um, so they won't, the words there on the bottom don't make sense, but blue's all the way across because we're looking at cases with a high probability of being authentic. So you're gonna see six bars of color for those cases meeting all six subjective criteria. And you can see on the bottom blue, that's SC for subjective criteria one consistency and those first anything with an FC next to it should be blocked off all the way across. And then the objective criteria, those OC one through six, you can kind of see the makeup of what other types of objective criteria created these cases as being um, highly probable, as being authentic. And then um, I'm actually going to summarize the tables in the in the second paper. So I'm going to skip through some of this. Okay, he does mention here in limitations, um, just within their own research, that the study lacks the external gold standard for validate for validating the authenticity of CE five cases as a non as the non as the non reproducible nature of the phenomenon makes it challenging to verify claims. So basically, they're saying you know, we are doing historical analysis. We couldn't be back live with when these cases happened at Mission Rama or whatever cases we're looking into. Um, You know, the gold standard would to be there live. We'll definitely, I bring this up in this, at this point in the presentation because it's something that I'll talk about later doing um, is to do it live. And um, let's go ahead and skip to the second one. But in conclusion, so they conclude out of this first research using these 12 criteria, looking at these cases, um, without going into the data too much using the original approach we found evidence to support that advanced contact from ETI with human beings probably is happening on earth at present um, and that's their conclusion of this first paper and that's what kind of got me excited about reading it first was um, you know you know at least at least there's a, an assumption that this is happening so far which I obviously think and then you know they say that future studies could um, confirm more findings other places in the world so let's look at his next study so Let me actually jump here now to slide 28. One second, because I have my notes. Okay, so then, Epimetheus. I'm saying it wrong, Epimetheus. The Epimetheus project, uh, Searching for New authentic. it's a Greek, you know how to say that, James? I don't. (laughs) uh, Sorry. Epimetheus. Epimetheus, I think. Okay, sorry. So on the second effort. So he's come back now. This this second paper was published or I I caught it. I think it was published in January of 2023. So much more um, recently. Right. So the first one was from 2016. So in the second effort, they start with 92. They lose 26. so They're going to look at 66 cases. And at the end of the day, they find 52 to be low probability of being authentic and only 13 of being high. And we'll compare those here. Again, here's those six bars across. We're just looking at cases with high and you can kind of see some of the other things. Programmed contact being one that happens here a few times, meaning that there was statements of beforehand that that there was gonna be contact or efforts to make contact at this certain time. So then now let's get into some of the data that I wanna talk with you with. So this is a summary of both projects now. So on this slide, the first project is on the left, the final contact, and then the, here, do I have it? Let me just, I don't mind, it's okay. And the Epimethus project is on the right. The orange means highly probable. So you can see in both research efforts, the the most amount of cases that they looked at ended up being low probability. The author would state this as a plus to his research, uh, Acosta Navarro, saying, look, you know, our tool for filtering out authentic cases is working, right? It shouldn't be all of them. Um, And so that's kind of how he would um, look at this data with but it is showing that there was the high likelihood of this happening, as I just read in his conclusion across both projects and then let's see here 32 sorry I wanted one more slide Oh yeah, 32 okay. So then in some of the findings, when they're doing surveys or kind of slicing this data the other way, I wanted to highlight a few things I thought would be interesting to you or was thought provoking to me. And so now the the projects are flipped. So the Epimethus project is on the left and the first final contract is on the right. Um, And so yes is gonna be in orange. And so on the left one, you can see just that the majority of the responses thought that there was telepathic uh, manifestation happening. And then on the next slide, I thought this was really curious too, because it talked about the number of encounters and especially when we think of kind of our kind of human initiated contact, where we're using meditation. Um, but the number of encounters, the, the white being once, which is very low, uh two two encounters being dark gray and then orange being three more times the majority of experiencers having these types of experiences it's happening more than three or more times right uh maybe even something ongoing and that kind of makes me just ask this question of like to what end or is this some sort of um scheduled reinforcement right is that why there's more but that's one interesting um part of that data on this slide, um, again, we're just looking at the concordant information received by experiencers of, from the high probability cases and the motivations that for visiting Earth was interesting from this experiencer study uh, with the number one reason being across both studies. The number one reason being to awaken consciousness uh, and the second being to alert mankind and it moves down there. Um, you know, nuclear hazard and, and some other things, but with the top reason being awakening conscious in both studies, um, I thought that was interesting and um, relevant to our conversation today. And then one more here, yes, and then this is kind of a summary of transform transformations of the person post contact, right? And so, um, these included. And again, oranges, yes, here across these just to kind of help illustrate them. But these included vegetarianism is a pattern recommended. So to look at that top left one there, um, the gray boxes was consumption of meat permitted, green being consumption of fish. So there are some, some variances there, but just as a pattern that came out, vegetarianism is recommended. To the top right, critics of capitalism or money-based system was um with with was a hundred percent a part of the data. So in both these cases where that data element was present it was a hundred percent of them. Um again hundred percent of where this data was present. People believe or these experiences believe that the presence of ETI among us, that they're already here in some capacity, right? And also reincarnation is a real phenomenon with something um that had um also a high percentage of 100% of the people answer that. And I bring that up, James, because I think it was it was interesting to me as I was reading this to see some parallels with like the free research study or, or some of the work by Ray Hernandez, right? And to see, um, you know, yet again, these themes kind of come out, although slightly different, but I wanted to highlight that slide. And then this kind of creates this general picture. So these are the characteristics most frequent in these cases we have high probability of being authentic and these are what we've talked about right so that there's telepathic manifestation had you know in the 90th percent or something here three or more encounters was high awakening conscious learning mankind critics to capitalism and some other categories so this kind of painted um just to pick a profile basically of these characters who were the most frequent across all of the experiences they looked at across both projects and um And what I wanted to talk about this is it is super interesting, right? Like I talked about how it connected into the free research and, you know, even free was one of the, you know, the first things I found like a post my experiences, right. And it was comforting to some degrees to find other people, right. Um, Or or especially in, in real life, right. To find people that had similar experiences, but, um, so while it's, it's, it's very interesting and um, and I'll, I'll speak to some ways, I think, especially from Haynes' research that we could actually use that data or, or build off of it. It's not quite the data that I personally want to set the you know authenticity for a CE5 case, right? And I think um, it can go a little bit further, but I'll get to my praise and criticisms here in a second. So then that basically was our summary of Acosta Navarro's work using those 12 criteria. And I'm going to go ahead and jump into um, some work by Richard Haynes now. Is that cool? Yes, sir. Okay, cool. Okay. So um, Richard Haynes' book, he's looking at 242 cases. They're broken across a few different chapters and sections. And so in the first section, he's really just talking about his methodologies that he's using, the different types of ways that he's going to slice up the data or what patterns he's going to kind of look for or how he's going to break down these cases by. And then um, he breaks down the book to UFO responses to, and then humanoid or entity alien type responses to. And so in the first section here, we have UFO responses to friendly human behavior, hostile human behavior, human thought, and then miscellaneous behavior. And then in part, the next part would be humanoid responses to friendly hostile, and then human thought and miscellaneous kind of in that bucket. And then some analysis and discussion, which covers, um, back to those methodologies and how they're summarized. So for sake of time, I'll I'll cover just some of this. Um, So um, on signaling to UFOs, he covers a wide range of just uh, tools that, you know, the cases include of ways that people are communicating with UFOs that involve from arrows, bullets, microwave energy, flashlights to thought. I just wanted to kind of put this table up here as thought it was interesting altogether. But um, so here's his methodology. Here's how he's breaking down. So this one's on duration of behavior. So basically, what? how long did James sit out there and try to do his CE5? And then how long did the UFO respond back, right, is kind of what this table is. So the human behavior is on the bottom, and you can see those breakdowns of like less than a second, and then a category of one to five seconds, five to 30 seconds, all the way to over 30 minutes. And then the same spread is used for the UFO or humanoid response. The only thing I'll note to hear is that if it's less than one second um, th- off to the right, you can see that note that would include words like flash, instant, briefly, pulse. So those might be some words of where that was categorized, but we'll revisit this. And then similarly, um, complexity behavior. So is is James, um, did he just, or I should say just, but um, did, did he get a response from meditating or did he also meditate and then um turn on a landing strip that he made it in his backyard right and wave and then turn on some music for him right so how complex was the human behavior trying to get this thing to respond back or communicate in some way back and then similarly um how complex is the ufo or humanoid um and so i won't get into those examples but that's basically what this is looking at and then to to your interest james this was basically was it was it was a human responding to visible phenomenon so if we're responding to a craft that's already visible or some phenomenon that's already visible, then that would be on PB1 scale. And that's just looking, at, you know, a, a few different ways there. Was it a um, reflexive response? Was it pre-planned? I see it. And I'm going to go do this thing now, right? I'm planning what I'm going to go do with it. Where PB2, so let me finish this then here. Um, the scale called PB1, compared to when there is no visible phenomenon or the person might have only felt the presence of the phenomenon intuitively. And just with that, without seeing it, so this is PB2 now, um, the human tries to initiate contact. And so definitely as I was going through the book I would I would keep an eye out right when the, when they first break down each case. Um, is this a PB2 case? Is someone trying to communicate without the craft even being there yet? Go
0: ahead. Yeah, and and, and just for clarity, under um, SETI's uh, working group manual and, and according to Dr. Stephen Greer uh, and how he had de- defined CE5, uh, a close encounter of the fifth kind second degree, is when somebody sees a UFO and they try to communicate either consciously or physically and the UFO responds and a, a CE5 or a close encounter of the fifth kind first degree is when there's no, no visible presence of a UFO, but you do something and you vector or you, you, and you completely initiate the, the sighting yeah. altogether. Very so. interesting. And, and it's, it's
1: those cases and it does cover some of the, Dr. Greer's work from like the early 90s, um, or the C SETI work, I should say. It's not all um Greer, you know, different teams from different parts uh of the world. But yeah, those are the cases that I'm most interested in. Like what's going on there, right? Like, and how how is information being transferred and how can we learn more about this? So it's definitely something I was interested in. Um, and then the last way of slicing up data is just kind of looking at how long was it before the UFO responded and he would favor shorter response times as uh is an indication of intelligence or you know general response. Okay so then i i have some cases that i highlighted in here but um i don't want to spend too much time on this but, so I'll, I'll just cover like one one or two things here um Okay, so I'll stop on this one. So Denise is a policewoman. This is from 1977. Um, it's 520pm. It's estimated eight times of a duration in Ifield near Lewis Sussex in the UK. And so Denise is a policewoman. She was trained at the Royal Observer Corps as, a air, as air in aircraft recognition. And she's at a bus stop when she sees a UFO 300 feet away. So this is PB1. But um, but still interesting, and and so I like this because it says, "But I thought, just thought, right? Come down here and let me good look at you, and um, and immediately the disc changed course and began to move, in, you know, in her direction. And so again, you have this case of just just with the thinking, right? This UFO seemingly moves closer due to that, um, which I thought was one of the interesting ones here. Oh yeah, that was an artist's interpretation of what she saw in the sky.
0: Yeah, and, and just a note that within UFO literature, there are cases like this, that, but the, the CE5 terminology wasn't there. So for a very quick example, in yeah. uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek's book that was co-authored, the last book he co-authored with uh, Philip and Bragno, called The Hudson Valley UFO Wave, um, there were a number of cases during the UFO wave in the 1980s and early 90s uh, in the Hudson Valley, New York, where people reported the same kind of thing. And there was the interaction with the thought so there there's literature that speaks to that um in which it it is in 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 you know for all intents and purposes a ce5 uh second Mm. degree or you know sure you know um so just just an interesting note for people to just be on the lookout because you'll see that in the literature
1: yeah yeah that's it's um it's very interesting um, and I'm glad that, you know, there's even a little section in, um, Haynes's book just on thought, right. Of UFOs responding to thought. And you know what, let me do this rather than get all the cases. Cause I fear that will take too long. Let me just go ahead and, and bring you some of the tables at the end of the chapter summary. So again, Haynes book is looking at how do UFOs respond to certain human behavior. This is just going to look at friendly human behavior. And so when humans are shining bright lights at the UFOs, you could l- largely see, um, these i and looking at the big table here. So. Top was departed, but they also became brighter, changed color next. They approached the witness beyond that. They repeated the flashing sequence beyond that. Um, one of the cases which is one of the one Dr. Burks talks about where uh, I think on your show, James, where he goes up into the Santa Susanna Pass and as he's coming back down this little valley, um, it's up there. But he talks about using like specific light sequencing. Here, let me actually pull up his quote because it was really good. And he talked about basically that if there was um Oh, here, he just said, we use a predetermined sequence of flashes. and So if the object signals back in the exact same fashion, then we know some kind of primitive communication has been established, right? And um thought that was fascinating too. I don't think people talk about CE5 always within the context of that. It's like a basic form of communication, um,
0: you know, but yeah. Oh, wait, are you muted? I muted myself. Okay, cool. I, and I've, I've had that same instance happen um even though I don't recommend people use lasers I had I've had a very coordinated engagement with you know one of these objects where I flashed in a sequence and it flashed back and you know back and forth back and forth and each time it, it um so you know the first time I flashed twice at it it flashed twice at me I said okay so let me I flashed three times and it flashed three times at me, and I said, "Okay, this, this is you know, I'm going to try to trick it here, right?" So I did, uh, one, two, and then a very long three, and the thing did the same exact thing back, and that's when I was kind of blown away. I'm like, "Okay, there's no, there's no coincidence there." No, no, there's not, and it's, and, and you know, it, or James, as we get through this, I think it's like,
1: like that's that's mind blowing, right? And there's, and so there's not this. Like well, we'll get into this a lot later, but just this, like, in UFOlogy, there's, there's, like, this common repeat of just, like, it's, it's dataless, right, you know what I mean, and it's just, um, it just feels like low-hanging fruit for scientific inquiry, right, like, if you're getting that type of communication back in that exact same type of fashion, then um, it feels like something that demands to be investigated more, um, and I'll definitely speak to that more, yeah. Okay, cool, so then let me go ahead and, um e- Okay, you wanted me to research to summarize this research, so I'll do this a little bit more. Let me slow down here. So we're talking just about UFOs responding to friendly behavior. And so when we look now to the top right, this is when UFOs are responding to people waving, shouting, or trying to get the UFO's attention, but still in a friendly capacity. Again, the number one thing UFO did was approach the witness before it did something else. And lastly, it left. And then lastly, on the bottom, uh, just response to airplane movements. So this isn't necessarily human movement, but like tilting wings back and forth or something like this. Um, it accelerated away. So those are all kind of friendly responses. Um, the next section would be on hostile um, responses from humans. So what did the UFO do when humans were hostile towards it? And these aren't entities or humanoids yet. These are crafts um that people are trying to be hostile towards so this would involve yes so um how it reacted speed and motion wise is it left in some way that's the biggest reaction that it left in some way uh how it reacted color luminance color luminance visibility wise is it brightened or it became invisible um you know, and then auditory wise, some witnesses would hear a ricochet or some type of noise coming from it. But what you don't see a lot of these responses are is, you know, it turned them to sand or you know what I mean, or destroyed them, their house or something, right? <laughs> you know, um, it's <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah, it's you know they lit up or you know they left or something like that. And um, and then it's, and then with military aircraft too, there's a similar trouble. There was a little bit here of. Um, The UFO reacted by destroying the airplane. But but um, Haynes will go out of his way to say that, especially when you look at the humanoid cases, that the majority of um, the aggression is a response back from, you know, from the human. Okay, so this was now on thought. So um, it was a much shorter chapter than I'd hoped for, but that's okay um on just he's looking those 242 cases are broken down different ways so on the one with thought there's a few things that are interesting here so in the in the seven cases um the witness transmitted such thoughts the ufo reacted by approaching the witness back in all seven cases so to add to your anecdote there james right in all seven cases in the book the ufo got closer um and then, yeah, sure. And two of the cases in which the witness was afraid and pleaded to be left alone, just with their thinking, right? The UFO reacted by flashing a light once and then departing the area. In the other case, and then in the nine cases in which the witness asked it to perform a particular response, the UFO performed the requested the response in all nine cases. I mean, this is fascinating, right? And 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 it's broken down in such a way that it's not. There's no leaps to conclusions, right? From from Haynes. He's just kind of going through the data, and I really appreciate that. And I'm going to skip here. Yes. So then humanoid responses. Let me go ahead and just jump to the summary page for you here. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're good here. So humanoid responses to friendly human behavior. Um, a, the, the, it, it was a Sorry, common characteristics in these cases is that the visitors were associated with a craft or or something like this from these experiences. And the the visitors' reactions to the human's behavior included waving back in one case, um, quick movement inside their craft, um, approaching, stopping, and then running away, and then an unclear response, some production of sound. Um, There was an absence of harm towards humans from the friendly behavior um, reaching out. And there was but there was limited communication with no significant information being conveyed, um, obviously, without the their acknowledgement of their existence. OK, so then when humanoids now we're done with UFOs, so the humanoid response to hostile human behavior from Haynes. And here's his quote. I suggest that humans are the direct or indirect cause of alleged aggressive alien responses in almost every encounter. And he goes on to say if this can be proven to be true, the implications are enormous it's impossible to control the aggressive tendencies of a human being and their lies a potential Jaina in the future whenever alien life forms may visit Earth. But uh, it's really that first part that I wanted to highlight, which is that he feels, he suggests that humans are the direct or indirect cause of, of the alleged alien, aggressive alien responses. And so um, in these responses to hostile behavior, which again, we're drifting away from kind of the human initiated contact, I think slice that we're in, but just to, you know, to be with integrity to the book here, um, there's 10 incidents analyzed The immediate reaction was in six incidents. Um, In three incidents, the entity fired something back. This was normally some sort of like light flashlight thing that would paralyze the person or kind of disable them in some way. And then there was no movement in one case. And then let me just continue here. So then the miscellaneous bucket of people using thought or miscellaneous, this was kind of smushed into one chapter. There was just six cases mentioned regarding um, with, with entities. Human thought um it provoked a response in three cases with the entity themselves. So that's even interesting, right? Not just the UFO, but the entity also seemed telepathically aware. Human speech provoked two responses, and then humans motion without speech, you know, evoked a response. And so those are the summaries. And um, I think this is the, the juiciest part of his well, no, it's all really good, but I'm excited for this stuff. So now is like his summary of all this data so like what did any patterns arise looking at 242 cases right and um there was some patterns that i'm not going to go into which would be like the time of day um it's mostly during hours of darkness when did they happen how many witnesses were there the shape of the ufo some things like that but again back to this table but now with some data in it so you could see let's look at this um my mouse will this show up on here no so if you could see from a half minute to five minutes, that green 61. So that means when, when the human behavior you could see um, was from 0.5 to five minutes, three responses, only three were from one to five seconds, 16 were from five to 30 seconds. And then there was 61 that was the same type of duration back, right? So it does look like there's a little correlation being formed at least in this middle of like half minute to five minutes. And then again, from, five, um, from from um 5.1 to 30 minutes right that you can see that 61 and that 37 had a higher distribution of of the ufo reacting in the same amount of uh, you know duration of response back to how the human did it so again if joe uh, if, if sorry joe if james is out here for four minutes meditating in most cases here the ufo is back for around the same time right and i do think that is interesting um yes I've, I've, I have don't want to say, but it's going to be on the next slide. And similarly, when they looked at the complexity of behavior, it did seem like that the majority of the cases responded in kind to the type of complexity behavior that the human was doing. So on the left one, we're looking at UFO, the right will be entity, but there's a lot more data points on the UFO cases. And so, when humans did low complexity responses, the the majority of the cases is this big bar on the left on the bottom is low. There is eighty six out of one hundred and twenty seven were low back. And so, um, so then that kind of shows that there was the, the you know the highest percentage was that low complexity response back. Similarly, leads from the UFO and the medium response when humans were doing medium complexity, the biggest chunk that we got back again was forty four out of. 75 out of 77 so 44 out of 77 again the highest percentage of responses back were of medium complexity it's almost a similar pattern when you look at the humanoids except in medium while there is um seven there there was 10 low responses so the low responses were favored in complexity um, from the humanoids just slightly but there's a lot more data points on our ufo side so this was interesting to me when i was thinking about this one james like um like it, if at least according to Haynes here, there's a little bit of a tear up and maybe there's some sort of natural endpoint here, but of like the more, the duration that we put into it and the complexity that we put into it was was um, responded back to in kind with a, a, you know equally complex or, or equally long, right? And I guess, yeah, no, I won't go. I'm gonna save my comment for a little bit later, but that is interesting to me. And does that tell us um, that they want to be seen? Right? Do they do they like are are they here to be hidden or are they here to communicate or you know, um something along those lines? Do you have something to say here? Otherwise I'll keep going. You can keep going. Can keep going. Okay. All right. So sorry. And then I'll just pause on the slide here, but um he he makes an effort in the in the end to basically say like are these responses and can we apply intelligence or, or is the UFO intelligent right um, and and basically he summarizes like well what is it doing in summary when he, um, human have friendly behavior and you can see it like. You know, it approached the witness. It signaled exactly back the same. But in general, it's just looking for like, is there a a response back that seems intelligent from the UFO itself? And he would go on to conclude that it does seem to suggest that the UFO is intelligent. Um, But that last chapter, I'm understating it. It's it's very good uh, when he's kind of summarizing this. And so this is what I really wanted to talk to you about today, which is like, where do we go from here? And so just once again, like it it was exciting to me to see two, you know, two gentlemen go out. And basically, try to add data to this conversation about CE fiber Heist. The first one from Acosta Navarro, really looking at consciousness-based stuff, um, but it would includes Mission Rama. Like to talk about right in one of his cases, so he's open to it. And finding that they conclude that this probably happened on Earth, right? There's enough people that go into this category that have a high probability of authenticity. And then Haynes's work kind of looking at all of these different ways that humans are just trying to communicate or initiate contact. And what are those responses back from the UFO? Um, at the whole, I think you would argue that A, it's seemingly intelligent. And then B, that there's um, self-restraint being, being used when it comes to our hostile actions, right? Because most of the friendly actions back um, were you know, neutral or friendly backwards. So in general, I want to praise these two works. So to cost Navarro, his 12 criteria, it's a novel way to authenticate these experiences. And without him, there there wouldn't be any paper called authenticating C5 experiences, right? So I do appreciate him starting off there. And its strength, one of its strength is, is that it's building, you know, with those 12 criteria, it's trying to capture certain data points to fulfill a goal here, which in this case is to apply a probability of authenticity to the cases. But in general, I feel like this is something that's lacked a little bit or lacking. And I'll I'll talk about it more when we talk about precedent and research. But just like the columns of data that we're collecting are to inform our hypothesis, right? Um, that we have whether it's true or not. And I feel like there's it's like there's too much of an effort to collect to not to not think about what those columns of data should be that we'd want to collect. Um, you know, it's not just collecting any data. Um, you know how what date? why do we want this data for what hypothesis is it for and so i appreciate that he's collecting this data you know purposefully um to go in and, and make this make these analyses um, there is little published research on consciousness-based ufo connection um and so this novel work is a contribution to ufology and i appreciate that i really like from Acosta navarro too that there were two that there were two research efforts and so the first one in 2016 and then the second one here um, in 2022 being published in 2023, but that it was done twice, right? So that almost shows that there's some reproducibility or retestability to take these 12 criteria and to try them again. And, and really that leaves me with this question of how else can these 12 criteria or an idea like them be applied to future HEIS and CE5 research? And then praise for just Let's have a sip of tea, real quick. Again, he comes in with a lot of um, scientific pedigree. He's retired NASA research scientist, um, assistant professor at psychology at San Jose. Um, so yeah, and then San Jose before moving to the Research Institute for Advanced Computer Science is a senior research scientist. So you know, again, a, a pedigree of from academia here. Um, and again, while there's little there's little scientific research, on human initiative contact using meditation. And so even though um, so I appreciate that it's a contribution that he has those cases in there of Greers really work or just people sitting in a bus stop and thinking about asking UFO to come closer, and it does. Um, just that those cases are compiled about thought-based or consciousness-based again is um is another contribution from him. And then Dr. Haynes presents this method for collecting and categorizing data. So we did see those, those trends within um, complexity and duration of human behavior to the UFO response? And again, can we learn from that and apply these into the into the future? Okay, I, I see what slide I'm on, cause I have notes to certain slides and I I can't see the number, okay. So then criticizing, and this is where I'm excited to, to, to get your mind or your response to here, James, is, well, Acosta Navarro focuses on consciousness and Haynes focuses on like any human-initiated contact. I believe research can go further by focusing on like that middle section of the Venn diagram, right? Where consciousness is the thing that's used to initiate um, you know, contact with with UFO phenomenon. And and you know, I, I think is, I, I note here that um, both of these, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And why is because Avaro and Haynes are, are really doing historical analysis, right? Where heist experience can be done live. We can capture data live in the moment. And it could really be any data that you, I mean, you could try to capture any data you want, I should say, right? Rather than need to rely on historical accounts. And and this criticism is noted and that Acosta Navarro uses as one of his profile cases, a Mission Rama case, right? Where it's like premeditated stuff. And then Haynes is including C-Study accounts. And so if both are willing to publish these as cases in their research, right then why not go do the research live with those people if you're entertaining dr greer enough to include his cases in here right then go out with a, a C-study group or whatever right and 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 see if we can collect data there right or same thing with mission rama um like let's go try to collect this live but i really believe that I come back to this question of columns of data which is like what data should we be collecting during these experiments and i really think that depends on what you're trying to figure out which i'll talk to um and i mentioned this a little bit earlier but there's like this common refrain of just, there's a, a lack of data within UFOs, right? And and then when I look to like, well, how are we trying to get new data then to bring into ufology, right? Um, well, obviously there's really scientific works right now with like the Galileo project, right? Which are really exciting. Um, but when you look at like user submitted type apps, um, those are all, you know, those are post-experience generally, right? Or I, should say, I think all the time that we're submitting those things in. And whether it's um, Enigma, Enigma or something new or a classic site like MUFON, the analysis is going to be in retrospect with no real opportunity to gather data from the event itself. You might be able to go to a location, look for, you know, physical evidence or something, but to capture live data is, is going to continue to be missed with these new projects or efforts. Even if it's talking about... Um, and I don't know if all the, how legislation keeps evolving, but if there's some supposed to be some sort of public facing collection, right, of um, exp- uh, data from the government on UFOs. Again, this is all kind of in retrospect. And how are we really supposed to measure or test hypotheses and experiment when we don't have a UFO in front of us? And I wrote this before David Grush. And so now I'm not quite so sure. <laughs> uh, maybe we do have UFOs in front of us and we could do some really interesting contact with them. Um, but consequently, then, if we can sim- seemingly communicate and these sometimes appear, what a perfect opportunity for scientific inquiry. And here's where, um I'll talk a little bit more. Sorry, I had a bunch of notes. I wanted to keep on them. OK, so, yeah, so um, even post I'll talk about post disclosure for one second. Like I've been thinking, you know, even with crafts revealed or bodies revealed or these legacy programs out which I'm all, I'm, I'm all about, I'm, I'm asking myself what questions would still, what I still have, or what questions would still remain. And I do believe that there's this question that remains, which is, you know, who, not only still who are these other intelligences, right, you know, in a diverse universe here, but how do we communicate with them, right? And again, I see heist as a possible mechanism or a field that could be investigated more as a way to, you know, to, to look at that issue. And so when we look at scientific inquiry using high, you know, going off this kind of, you know, building off of the, the, the research of these two guys and saying, well, where can we go with the future of research around human in contact? I kind of outlined suggestions uh, in two categories here. So one would be um, like a, a wide net approach and then the other one would be more specific using um, approach based on precedent. And so this wide net approach would basically just be, like, you know, like Doc Brown from Back to the Future, like, get your help, just get as much equipment as you can, and then just go out to see if any novel data appears. And so, this could include cameras across all spectrums, tri meters, software defined radio, um a muon detector. There's this um, MIT product that you could build with an instructor for like $120 called a cosmic watch that will detect muons some type of photometer, right? To maybe measure the brightness of light or something like this. Um, Quantum, a random number generator and then also biofeedback sensors. So um, EEG readers or anything happening to my brain, at least that I could pick up with EEG waves, like a Muse device, something that's, you know, consumer level here. Body temperature, heart rate, um, other things happening within my body that might be able to um, pick up some data, right? And I'll I'll talk specifically about... um, be led by experience later, but all of this, this type of information can be collected in addition to any t- sort of like modern submission site, right, um, Where that's MUFON or whatever, or, you know, a, a new app that's come out, like, you know, those might collect um, location, when when this event took place, is there any media attached to it, you know, f- photo or film, and then some testimony that, you know, how long did this take, did the experience happen, describe the shape of the ufo or how it moved how many were there how many witnesses were there how far do you think it was right all of these questions can still be answered in addition to saying oh and guess what james's temperature increased by two degrees thir- you know five seconds before contact happened right and there's like and we're collecting this novel data point and we could still go what james saw was this far away he had this many witnesses present it was on this date right because this is like this this whole thing with columns i'm like what am I trying to learn about the universe collecting these columns on the right side of, of the of the screen here, right? Like, what am I getting at? Uh, like a frequency of when they appear, like, you know, probably going to be more in darker, you know, skies than in the middle of the day. I mean, I assume, right, you know, or, or you know, but just like, what am I trying to capture with all of this data? Maybe like a hot spot, you know, if I'm getting location data, but this isn't getting at the questions that I want to, to get at, right? And my questions are more like, you know, um is like how how do we get it like something like idealism right or um is consciousness the thing connecting this is this quantum are we quantumly entangled is this how the information goes back and forth etc right um you know it, these types of things and so let me let me continue but yeah that's i think that um but anyways the wide net approach before i get into this present approach is just like um uh, let's collect what data we can and the benefits to this include just like this expanded aperture of all these different instruments that can collect different data. Due to a lack of certainty of what signature could or should be there, right now there's no like smoking gun signature of UFO, at least as far as the public or I know about, right. That says, oh, when they when they're here, they emit this certain thing, right? And um, and if you if we can correlate that with video, then we can start to 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 know these are authentic UFOs and what can we learn more about them. Um, it's just, I mean, obviously the, the big um, uh, benefit of this is the capacity to capture live data. And then it's this exploratory style, meaning like we're, we're, we're giving credence that we don't know. And so we're, we're, you know, humbled that we can learn something novel here. And I think about Mark Sims, or maybe it was from Jimmy Blanchett, but this idea yeah, of a six Jimmy. experiment and broadcasting like this radio flat kind of image I'm sorry. With the with the walkie talkie is what I'm thinking. Um, so yeah, he does he does broadcast that image with the walkie talkie first, and then through a series of Faraday bags, he's putting walkie talkies deeper and deeper into a Faraday bag, and they're still chirping, right? Um, and there's a control one where he puts another walkie talkie. I think four or five bags in, you can still kind of get some feedback, but after seven, it's dead so there's no way this other walkie-talkie should still be getting some sort of signal right and but like would we with without an, an ex like without an exploratory mindset would we even know that that that's a possible way that they're communicating in that in that way you know what i mean or that their the phenomenon occurs even in that in that medium if you will right and so um what other ways are we unknown or we don't even know about that if we bring more tools to, we could find maybe responses that we weren't even thinking about. And so that was just some of my thoughts on um, like a wide net approach. And then there's this precedent-based approach, which I'm more personally um, following up with, um, which is like, how does past CE5, or I'm sorry, how, how does past research inform or narrow down a hypothesis for CE5 and heist? Now, obviously we don't have a lot of, you know, research on heist itself, you know, with like tools like this, right? Uh, We covered ones that are doing historical analysis, kind of looking in the back. Uh, And so then that's where I look to the contact modalities, right? To say like, well, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, But yes, how do we use past research? And sorry, I had a note here, I think. So I'm just gonna go for this one because I wasn't sure where it goes. And that's just this, James. When you do heist, it's like, they want to be seen like the, the, these flashes of light or whatever they're doing right are, are brighter than most things in the sky and 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 they're already showing up so we're not um we're, we're not trying to capture data when they're trying to be elusive we're capturing data when they sim when they seemingly want to be seen right and so like doesn't that kind of encourage us uh, th- would that behoove us then to try to collect more data there right um or even working off of, uh, what Haynes was talking about, like, if there's more complexity, does that mean then that maybe we should bring tools, right? If there was more, if there was a more complex response to a more complex human initiation, right? So if that's trend is true, then maybe we should bring tools. And I say that in the light of like, their, their actions don't seem like they're trying to be fully elusive. I don't think they can be manipulated. But it also like they're here to get our attention, during those things too, right? They're showing us back like, hey, I'm here. And that doesn't seem to be in a way that's like, and no one else can see this, right? Like you could film it with your camera, your phone or whatever, right? And um, and so, yes, So I thought that was um, even more of a reason to kind of keep us into this. Okay, so looking at precedent. So um, so yeah, is there just, I can't imagine finding a signature um, to, to associate with uh, something, an anomalous sighting, right? And that would empower just a whole new Slew of research, right? Once we have some sort of signature, and this is where, so let's look at specific precedent things. So, this is looking at software defined radio, kind of looking for radio signatures, and um, and this blew my mind, James. because I'd been looking for months, I was looking at like um, this book by Mark R- Rodiger or something that was just like when when vehicles fail by the presence of UFO, and I was trying to see if he would conclude with. What type of signature would cause that interference? But you didn't really get there, right? But I was digging, you know. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I forget who gave it to me now, but there's one case in Project Blue Book. It wasn't, it was a, a relook or a review of Project Blue Book where there was, oh, you mentioned it in your loose threads with the three gigahertz or the 3000 um, um, megahertz or whatever, right? You're talking about, you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, and that was the, um, the Danielle Lozando Omega point in the Hermetic Penetrator.
1: Yeah, yeah. They touched but, on that.
0: But that was like a
1: revisit into a BlueBit case, right? And they and they're like, this guy found like more information about it, right, than that was initially understood. Did I get that right?
0: Yeah, and, and I mean I, I would I would highly suggest that the people within DOD they have all those types of signatures and you know. Yeah. That that data is known, it's just not available to the general public. For, Which I mean, is a crime. I mean I, I don't know about crime, but just—I it, mean, it—it it is because it's—it's it's a, a, an illegal cover-up that's been facilitated, sure. you know, more more so illegal because of disinformation that's targeted the the public. So sure, 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 yeah.
1: Um, but as of now, you know, there's not a lot of publicly available, I guess, right, data on this stuff, and so you know, like when we when we think about the search for extra life. Like we spend billions of dollars through NASA and stuff, right. Looking for, you know, ancient life on Mars. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is something that's like, like a software defined radio is $29 on Amazon. Right. And you can go do it in your backyard. Right. Like yeah. let's go. Okay. So, so like this was super interesting to me because the, you know, through arrow at the emerging threat and capabilities um, hearing by Jule a f- few weeks or months back um, it was, you know, they had the slides here, right? And I I just, it blew my mind when they had, you know, a, a portion that, that said signatures. And I was like, no way they're giving us signatures. But, you know, funny enough, you have a radio from one to three gigahertz. Again, another bracket there from eight to 12. But that one to three just reminded me of, you know, the constant um um, you know, alleged or, or should i shouldn't say alleged, but the 1.6, right? What it's from, I'm not sure, but a uh, skinwalker ranch, right? This type of signal that's been commonly associated with some anomalous things happening on the ranch via their episodes. Um, again, this one to three gigahertz would fit that. And then Ronnie Vernet, who's, you know, um, I don't know him personally, so it's harder for me to verify, but he continues to post um, with video and, and some of their data about being at a hotspot spot. Um, so not necessarily human-initiated contact, but at a hot spot. And he also found this 1.6 gigahertz um, associated with when these lights are appearing. And so when I look at that, James, I'm like, that's plenty of precedent for me to, you know, to merit some sort of basic experiment to be like, when I go do human-initiated contact and I have a successful sighting, you know, is there this 1.6 signal or any signal between one and three gigahertz, right? Um, If they're appearing in these other places, then that seems like logical enough to be like, well, let's figure this out if it also comes from Heist. And then now we're collecting data to um, help us understand a little bit more about the universe. But there's there's other ways, and and this we're all going this a little more. So precedent from contact modalities. So not always EEG, that's an um, fMRI sometimes too, but um, they've been used to study the brain under a, a variety of circumstances, including different types of meditations, psychedelics, like we talked about, remote viewing. I, I, on remote viewing, I, I found this one where the artist Ingo Swan is is under an MFRI and they're finding this seven hertz spike or something, right? Um, you know, near-death experiences, et cetera. And so if we find any types of Patterns across these happening in the brain or other ways that we could slice it, would that basically give us a big enough clue to say, well, then we should go look at human issue to contact to see does this same thing appear here too? Um recently I I read this article again, just on Google Scholar, right? But some, some medical journal, and it was comparing DMT studies with near-death experiences. And one of the tools that it used was this mystical experience questionnaire um, that had been used with one of those before, but not with the other one. I forget which one it was a part of it. It was either like used with NDEs, but not with psychedelic experiences or vice versa there. But they decided to do both, right? To see. And there was, and it was like a, basically like a the same pattern across both of these, right? And um, I might have, what's well, okay. And so I'm thinking like, can also, even if it's just something like that, can we use, um, other tools like this mystical experience questionnaire to understand how something like human contact is similar to other contact modalities, right? Um, you know, are, are we measuring those other things like a unitive experience or other things like that? Um, but yes, I do think that as far as just establishing a hypothesis or as a way to narrow down expectations, I think we could look to those other contact modalities as ways to um, for, for to narrow down expectations for a Heiss experiment. And then lastly, I think this is probably the most important one which is to use the precedent from experiencers, right? I I feel like just starting with people having these experiences, um, what do you think, you know, or what did you feel or what's going on? I feel like that's a most excellent place to start to try to derive some experiments from. And so I'll try my best here. So they know where we are looking. I've had um, numerous experiences. You know, it felt like, When I was first getting into human contact, it started on my peripheral, and then later, then I'd look right and I could see them. But then that graduated into like what I'd be meditating. And as soon as I opened my eyes, they'd start like in the dead center of my vision, right? Like right where I'm looking. And so I start to develop this hypothesis in my head. I'm like, this, the others, whatever you want to call them, they know exactly where I'm looking, right? You know? Um, And so, how can we use that experience or kind of anecdote to build a hypothesis? Well, for this idea, I'm thinking, well, what if we put, hopefully a GoPro or something sensitive enough to capture the night sky, but on a helmet, right? You know what I mean? So it's kind of following my, at least my head movements. And then in post, or even in, we could put some type of grid in front of it if it could see through it, but that might, in post, you just put like a checkerboard grid over it, you know, over the video. And then we could see the distribution of where the flashing occurs. So does that flash occur towards the center square or is it off? Right. And if we collect enough of this data from other people, We can maybe start to build a picture of wow look at these distribution points in the center right it's the higher frequency and we can start to get at this idea of that they know where i'm looking right is is something to go at um we also can similar to that can we premeditate place can you please appear by the big dipper and see if that occurs right um to get at this idea of that it's intelligent behind it i know what i'm thinking i um or they know what I'm thinking. That one's harder for me to think about, um, but I feel like maybe we could do surveys. So if we intentionally go in to, this one's harder, I mean, experientially it felt like it's more random, but are there certain things that people are thinking that are responded to? And then can we capture that maybe in surveys, especially if the experiment stood up to only think about those things, right? Like think about, will you appear in this point in the sky and do they do that or or certain things like this? Um, I could send them right before contact this is another kind of experience for sentiment, um, that I think is really important. And so, you know, is there biofeedback that happens to our bodies that, that can sense this pre, you know, pre-contact pre-flashing. So, which would be awesome to get timestamp data of heart rate or, or, you know, brainwave, you know, measurements or, um, body skin temperature, right. Or, things like this and does any of that change the moment right before contact because there's definitely a sentiment of like oh i can feel them and then they show up right that's very it's right there so i feel like if these are the like the most important things to look at because they're coming from the experiences themselves um you know the sentiment of it's a consciousness based connection i i don't know how to measure consciousness and cups and and you know gallons and things like that yet. you know but um but i don't know is there any way we can get get at this this idea of um i don't know maybe quantum entanglement there's there's experiments there it's way, but my pay grade you know but you know what can we do there and then um i don't know this idea of you know they're not traveling as much as they're appearing uh, i you know m- maybe this is l- less hard here but um just this this uh, the sentiment that they're already here in some capacity they're just appearing or showing up or manifesting or something um or or this is really interesting will they is there like um is it is it contagion in any way right does this thing spread so if 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 um i'm doing heist in my backyard and um and i'm just making this up and my friend peter starts to come over right um or hang out with me is he going to start to have his own heist encounters or well
0: right. heist so, so it's kind of so. like a a hitchhiker effect but um, yeah but but you know again with a Different connotation, generally speaking. But right? it's different, yeah. But does it still spread? by I think of um Dorsey Izot, right? Who is right filming yeah. out
1: there, and then it was years later that her, her daughter and some of her other family members start to see it too. But it wasn't at first. There was a, a little bit of a delay, right? But that spread. Well, or the-
0: and and I'll I'll say, you know, I, you know, people might not like either of the things that I say here, but uh, you know, the, similar was reported with uh Doctor Stephen Greer and and even Christopher Bledsoe. You know, yes. Let's say Christopher Bloodsaw as an example. And I do think his case is absolutely genuine that there's anomalous experiences going on. Um, that people would come visit him and have the sightings there on his property, and they'd go back home and 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 continue to have some mm. anomalous experiences. Mm. Right. Same thing with Dr. Stephen Greer, again, Dorothy Ezat. Mm. Uh, I could say people that have come out with me before, you know. I don't think it's because of me in general or whatever, maybe just that experience opened them up to it, but, um, you know, had, had done work with me and then had gone on to have their own kind of encounters. Oh uh,
1: yeah. And that's, you know, if, if we could start to, um, quantify that in some way right that's that's really intriguing data right um I, I mean personally across all the contact modalities james like but we can get in That's
0: right because what does that even mean right that that that's something like that can occur it's like yeah it's like oh you've had this you can well in two ways right one is you know um
1: a, a different contact modality occurring right some other form of high strangeness and then also kind of that contagion of just it spreading to other people but um yeah it's things because for whatever reason there's a lack of this research being done right you know what i mean but like these are all types of things that i feel like are all different dissertations or just things that could be explored right um you know uh across so, so yeah so i wanted to profile kind of this wide net approach like i don't know how jimmy blanchett stumbled upon this and are these faraday bag radio you know without the antenna experiments but why not kind of covering like let's just go out there and see what happens you know maybe there's something we're not thinking about in a way that it wants to communicate um and then b being using precedent from contact modalities or i brought up that 1.6 gigahertz signal um and then and then third here being excuse me precedent from experiencers themselves from these experiences because you know like you talked about personal, you know, anecdotes of just being with people and having experiences and people um, throughout, you know, the last, I don't know how many years you've been doing this now, James, but a minute, right. Um, yeah. And then even in my brief time, right. Just, you know, on social media, find other experiencers, there's, these are sentiments that seem to um, occur a lot, right. Like um, they know where I'm looking. I can sense them right before contact, right. It's consciousness, this spread contagion thing. It feels like those are things that are common. And so it feels like it should be um, it could be studied more, and then lastly was um, all these. Oh, I even had this slide here. This is what I was going to talk about. Lastly, just a little bit more of the implications. That's kind of the end to my science experiment suggestions. But um, yeah, so NDE psychedelics and other technologies have these common patterns of transformation post-unitive experience. So, like they people have these unitive experiences, and there's a transformation that happens to them behaviorally after these types of events, right? So, you know, uh, they're less fearful of death. They're a critic of Capitalism, these types of things, right? So, can we measure? Um, h- does heist fit into that same picture, right? Like we know that those transformative experiences have been profiled now across other contact modalities. Is there anything similar happening within human-initiated contact? And you know, can we measure that unit of experience that I was getting at? I and mean, this was really interesting. I'll just read this highlight. This is from that paper that I was referring to, comparing uh, DMT and ND. But it says, is it? Po- it is possible that the complete ego dissolution. And the parallel unitive experiences that accompanies it, so the ego dissolves, and you get a parallel, or you know, as that happens, you get this unitive experience, may be the common factor that can bridge uh, these different states, and is also responsible for the long-term psychological benefits associated with them, right? And so, um, so this this makes me like, well, man, I want to know if how what what are people's spiritual experiences like during heist right um and are they are they being are they similar to what people experience during an nde or um or, or a psychedelic experience in any capacity right and what tools can we can we use to to find those similarities um more just kind of implications here as i continue um like this just so does it, you know, I wish I could really just uh, get at the data of, um, oh, look, at the CE5 that we prove this um, information is being transferred with, you know, somehow quicker than space time should allow. But we, we're not there yet. But, you know, it, it feels like then that there's this, do humans have like this dormant capacity for telepathy, right? Um, will this, is this, it, can we just use it without them? You know, um, and if we ever get a signature, like, can we try to see then if, if James and I try to speak telepathically, right. I don't know if we, if you think of the right thing, does that same hit, that same signature spike occur? Right. You know what I mean? Um, something like yeah. that. Um, and I mentioned this before, but just in general, like I'm motivated by heist. Like I went to alien con back in February, I think, or something of um, 2023 year. It's, it's local to me in, in the LA area here. And so I went to as many speakers as I could find, like, um, Dr. Travis Taylor or Jeremy Corbell, or just, you know, whoever I could find as new speakers. I really want the same question, which was, um, uh, human issue to contact. seems like low hanging fruit for scientific inquiry due to its alleged reproducibility. What tools or instruments should we bring to these types of efforts to see what data we can collect, especially data that gets at some, um, you know, hypothesis of the nature of reality or, or something like this. And, um, I've lost my trail of thought but anyways i got a bunch of suggestions for for different um devices that we could bring and oh dang dude, i'm so sorry i just forgot my my train of thought i was trying to tie into something but i'll just continue with my bullets so this appears to be a form of communication which is which is uh relevatory to me like um yeah i think we should we should research it more and then yes we didn't talk about this how how do heist and other contact modalities it seems like the best fit in a theory of everything like idealism where consciousness is fundamental can we get at this hypothesis with experiment with heist um and then so at the end of the day i guess what i was suggesting is is there i don't know if there is but is there any unique signature that's associated with contact that happens during heist um and can we find it in a way that's it's unique enough that it distinguishes that this is a ufo response to your or a phenomenal phenomenological response to your human-initiated effort. Um, and while the work presented were historical that I covered, I think that there's a lot to be discovered using CE5 heist experimentally, like I talked about. Um, can we learn more about the nature of reality through experiments with heist? Can we get at this, this whole hypothesis of consciousness being fundamental, which resonates so much with the experience, right? Um, can we, can we? I don't know, is a develop some experiment to get at that. Um, This high spread to people in your life, to what end we talked about? What what are the other's motivation um, in in showing up? Uh, Are are these demonstrations meant to provoke humanity into a certain worldview like idealism? Are, Are these demonstrations meant to provoke us into a more connected identity rather than like a singular ego one, right? Are these experiences only meant for the experiencer themselves? Those are some remaining questions I have it, but ultimately can heist help us learn more about not only the nature of reality, but, um, who these others might be. And lastly, or more, most importantly is who we are. And so that's, those are the slides that I wanted to cover with you, James. I'm down to talk a little bit longer, just more, um, spitball, but I'll go ahead and stop sharing my screen here.
0: Sure. No, that was great. I, I really appreciate you sharing all that. Cause that's, I mean, again, I think that's, um, an excellent uh, presentation and approach to CE five because I haven't really seen many people try to tackle it in a, in such a scientific way, um, which I I can understand because there's there's not like you said with those two um, papers and, and high, what what uh, Dr Haynes has there's there's not too much data out there considering um, you know the vast implications like out. I'd love to see more CE5 studies, you know, I think it would be helpful if there were even more studies trying to show that it's an actual thing. I think a lot of people are still kind of struggling with that a little, sure. Sure. Um, but again, it's. Yeah. Reproducible. I
1: mean, yeah. We're missing, we're missing like this, like, um, uh, take your, your control group and just put them in a, um, A park and have them just look at the stars right and then you take your experimental group on a different day or whatever and then they're doing heist and then you just see if there's any difference right i mean it seems like pretty easy but i mean yeah it feels like james that it's just um i mean i go back to there's there's definitely this you have to be there moment with it or thing with it right like that that much i've learned i can't i can't push my experiences with anyone else right? right it's just You got to be there. So I I get that now, but I'm still, there's still this crazy bewildering conviction in me. That's like, um, well, this seems very important, but like, this needs to be looked at more. I mean, like, it shouldn't be so it's exciting. It shouldn't be so casual. Like you're taught. you're like, I know that it's, you know um, to, you know, to each their own on, you know, wherever they think about it, but like, you're sitting there, you're meditating you're reaching out into the universe and then you're getting responses back. Like that's just wild to me. And it feels like that's, they're not doing it in a way that's, well, of course there might be some trickery or sometimes stuff going on, but like they're not doing it in a way that's hidden or evasive, right? Like, well, maybe that virtual experience model only certain people, but how they're responding back is a way that's visible. And it's communicating that, like, I don't want to say they want to be seen. I want to put words in these others. Now. It's an acknowledgement.
0: I mean, it's yeah, a, it's, it's a, acknowledgement.
1: And so then it is done in a way that's, it's brighter than everything else in the sky, right? Or sometimes it's what you're observing, you know, feels like it shouldn't belong or be there with its physics, you know, what it's doing, whatever, but like all of those things feel like it's, it's, it's showing off a little bit, I guess maybe that's a better way to say it. And so if it's showing off to me, that would feel more open to communication or some sort of dialogue or interaction. And so why not bring out more tools to figure out what, what else? we could pick up because it feels like there's already, um, you know, in a, a, a lean in response from them, at least sometimes. And I want to be really clear to me we talk about this. It's not, I would never call it summoning. I'm not in charge of it. Right. I think it's like the best description I've come up with. It's like calling someone on the phone. The other person on the line has to pick up. It's I'm not in charge. I can't force them to pick up. So, yeah. um, but yeah, when they do choose to show up, there's a semi reproducibility with enough that feels like, especially within SETI or just ufology when we're talking about researching this just feels like why don't we try to collect data from here because they're communicating back with us and it just seems very logical to me James yeah um at the end of the day
0: yeah and I mean some some encounters I mean they may seem you know like visually uh simple or you know it's not like close encounters of the third kind film oh, no, right? no, no, all yeah. the time. But if you stop and think about what's occurring when it's happening, you're you're having you know you're you're repeating a process and you're you're getting back uh, a response that's seemingly anomalous to conventional wisdom. So, you know, the implications that number one, that it's possible at all, and number two, that you have some kind of um, higher intelligence that's willingly interacting with you uh, is mind blowing, right? Just the just those two things alone are like, I I can understand why there's been so much money dumped. Well, I do understand. Okay, yeah, defense, national security, um, military free, application. Free. Don't need anything to do it. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, there's why you know how come money has been dumped into remote viewing and ESP research and not this? But I get it. Because, you know, you can use remote viewing to do X, Y, and Z and, um, you know, it has right. military applications. So therefore the, there's going to be money put into it. Sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just a,
1: a human with, a, amongst the human species. Um, I think it's something that merits scientific inquiry and experimentation. And and lastly, James, I'm, I'm trying some of these myself. So I've been out recently, I just got this software defined radio, um, So can you see that it's, it's literally like, it's just this little thing. It's 29 bucks. And then it's just a USB. So you just plug it in. This is just my adapter. And then um, there's free software that you download. Mine's called cubic SDR. I still need to learn to better use the device, right? I'm not a radio physicist or whatever that profession is, but, um, but you know, it's 30 bucks, right? Like, why not just try it? Or amuses is, is, that's like 10 times that like 300. Right. But um, if you can get there, that's, that's, you know, interesting data that might come out. I mean, I'll let you know if I find something. I mean, if you, that'd be very, very cool. But in general, I feel like um, it's stuff that we could do. Oh yeah, and then I'm just trying to out there and go do it. Um, something like the GoPro with the grid that just take a lot of effort. Um, it would it'd be a longer term study, right, to collect that many data points. But even just kind of where you're holding the camera. Maybe you can even analyze that a little bit. It's not necessarily where your eyes are looking, but, um, but yeah, I'm, so I'm going to go out there and try to capture this. My goal moving forward would be to, to somehow like create an experiment proposal that just outlines how to run it that other experiencers can do, right? So if they, if someone else wants to go buy this $29 piece of hardware and go try Heist themselves you know that they can also go try to collect and the more people that are trying to collect data the better right um and so that's be my goal is can me can i get to a place where I at least i could help facilitate like oh here's a few experiments if you want to try to go collect data right doing heist here's here's some other ways that you can go co- do that um and then one other thing i just i haven't said but i do feel is important is um i don't think like the truth like capital T truth of the universe lies in any radio signature or um you know brainwave or anything like that right I feel like the, the all, you'll learn more from your personal slash like spiritual experiences during heist than any signature um I just want to put that out there I don't think but I am devastatingly curious if when these things come into our visible reality is there any footprint left that's measurable and my I just feel like there is. <laughs> Uh, there's gotta be some footprint left with I mean those already the footprint of light, right? So we could see it and we can capture that on cameras and film. Is there any other signatures left that are capturable? So um, so yeah, so I'm motivated. I'm excited about um current events, um, but I'm I'm, I'm really excited just to like like see what I can go learn for myself. I mean, at this point, we don't have disclosure, which I hope comes, you know, or whatever that means to people. Uh, but we don't have, you know, a bunch of data on signatures or things happening during heist. And so I'm just kind of in a place in my heart that's like, well, why not just go try it myself and see what happens? And so that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah. And, you know, again, I've, you know, I've used more recently like disclaimers, like, you know, this is the decision if you want to do, make sure you're you're going to be cool with what happens, right? Are you ready for kind of like, having a a
1: lifetime
0: yeah are you you ready to have a, a a transformation in the middle of your life basically uh which could potentially happen but but for people for people that are that have a calling to do this kind of thing or that people that just decide hey they're gonna do it anyways um i i think i would encourage people to do it because you know again the more the more data you have on it the better and you know even if even if there was or is um, a kind of disclosure um that's you know you're still going to be getting that from an exterior means mm-hmm. right sure. the us government or or whoever whoever it is that's going to do whatever disclosing that they're going to do um whatever they tell you is not going to be the same as if you had your own experience. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it will, it could be very helpful in a lot of ways on a large scale um, to move our, you know, understanding as, as a civilization forward in, in some degrees and open people's minds, allow um, academia to get involved in the UFO subject and, and, uh, and everybody else. Right. But there's, you know there's there's going to be no you know that that kind of like self-disclosure of having your own kind of experience Mm -hmm. really in in my opinion creates so much more meaning to to what what this is right yeah Yeah. um and there's nothing that can replace that and and at the same time you know where where could this ultimately take us is it possible that you know we could garner further information through close encounters that we're not going to be told by the government or or whoever else right by any kind of authority that's going to selectively give us information that you know serves their interests or what they what they think we can handle or or whatever that that may be um i'm you know just my type of personality is like hell, I'm gonna do it myself. I'm not I don't want to take your word for it. Sure. Um so I and again, I think I, I really believe in in um Dr. Stevens career mission with with the CE five initiative in in that I think that you know why why should any small group or whatever decide what what they want to communicate to the UFO phenomenon when we're sovereign and we clearly have the ability to speak for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, number one, I think that's just way more self-empowering, right? Um, Number two, you know, maybe if I'm interacting with UFO intelligence, I want to say what I want to say rather than have somebody speak on my behalf yeah yeah. and i know i know people are going to say oh maybe that's reckless you know whatever you know shouldn't but it's it's my choice man you know and um i think it's a it's a fail safe um that we have citizens you know going out and making contact um having their intentions heard or you know what have you by ufo intelligence and again, I, I just I, I think it's a good fail safe to have that that we're not dependent or reliant solely on uh, you know the powers that be or or whoever it is with greater resources that's going to determine whatever they, they think they're going to tell me what something is is and what it's supposed to mean. Sure. Um, yeah. I think that you know as we go forward you know, increasingly it's crazy because there's, and I hope I'm not going on a crazy rant here, but you know, there's increasingly this centralization of everything. At the same time, there's like ways that we can become more independent with technology, mm-hmm. right? Even though it's being tracked and monitored and, and all that crazy stuff, but we still have more capability as an individual to do whatever it is with AI and different internet tools. Um you know also with gaining information so you can you know learn how to do a crazy tibetan meditation which like a 100 years ago you would have to go to tibet to have learned that stuff now right. you can just go on google and kind of you know but I, I don't know i i think there should be citizens that are doing the the diplomatic effort um Where they're going out with with peaceful intentions trying to interact with the ufo phenomenon in a way that's not militaristic right because even you know there's no as as far as we know there's no initiative like that and and why why isn't there right Mm -hmm. um i mean i i just think it's important that you know again i i really appreciate the basis behind the ce5 initiative and um and going out and making peaceful contact because that's like you have all this other craziness going down um you know we're potentially collecting ufo technology possibly shooting some of it down or how you know how whatever we can speculate about that but there should also be an initiative especially citizens you know, saying, hey, you know, we'd like to interact and understand each other.
1: Yeah, totally. I don't think that part's going away, um, even post some of this stuff that uh, has been previewed to possibly be a part of disclosure, right? That those questions still may lay after that.
0: I think it, yeah. And I, I mean, I think maybe after there is uh, some kind of confirmation or disclosure, you know there's definitely going to be like different camps of people and yeah. with with different thoughts and agendas and and yeah i think you know the, the ufo space is probably going to explode with interest and and all other types of things but yeah i really i don't think that the the uh the diplomatic aspect should should disappear or diminish i think people should should take it on if, again, if they're so called to the work, because I think that's an important part of, you know, human initiated contact. I mean, of course, like there's curiosity, right? People just want to have a a confirmation and know for themselves that there's a UFO phenomenon and they can go do something like CE five or heist and get that kind of confirmation. Like, wow, there's something to this. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, but again, also in the bigger picture, like, you know, who's saying, you know, trying to make a a communication between us and and them, you know, the UFO phenomenon, potentially phenomena, different intelligences. But I I think it's important that we we have some kind of dialogue Mm. that's not top down.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's yeah it's right it's in a really different view to be like hey anyone can go have this dialogue it doesn't have to come from the pentagon yeah to have it
0: right and it it shouldn't because we've seen you know again applauds to all the efforts that are going on right now um but we've seen what happens when you give the pentagon this issue right mm-hmm. we and and people that have had contact have been casualties in in a large sense you know and, and and others who were just privy to the information, right? So um, I, I that's why I say, I think that the the, um, the C5 initiative is a good like fail safe. It, it needs to be there as a check and balance at the very least.
1: It's a really interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, in general, um, James, I've, um, I feel like I'm, I, I learned from you even in the short time that you've spoken. Thank you. I mean, I, I've learned from you for the last, you know, two years or whatever that I've gone into this. You've been just like a source of, um, of comfort or of knowledge, and you brought people, you know, like, like Doctor um, Burks, you know, um, into my perspective that I didn't have before. And so, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for for all the work you've done and um, and, and how you um, promote curiosity too.
0: I appreciate that, and I, I've had Doctor Haynes on here too. Oh yeah. And Dr. Hand. You just had Dr. Hand. That's right. Yeah, Which was like amazing because I had read that book in maybe like 2010 and it was amazing <laughs> to finally speak to him because he's a, a really brilliant guy. And I got to learn how, how deep he is when, when talking to him. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Serious guy. But um, do you have any, any kind of closing thoughts? Um, Even uh, like, yeah, like for would you have any advice for people that might be entering this this subject of of human initiated contact?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, well, we've spoken about it today, sort of academically. It's, I mean, I think you did, you represented it better towards the end. It's definitely like a very real phenomenon that's felt, um, and it's um, and so just, I mean, if you found a place where you're already curious and you're here, right, then um, maybe already kind of open to those those things. But um, yeah, have fun with personal discovery, I guess. Yeah. I'll, I'll close in a little better though. That was just to answer your question though. Cool, <laughs> that was cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say, um, you know, if you're having these new experiences, hopefully this helps a little bit show that it is being researched a little bit out there, right? And that there are some serious guys with PhDs or people um, doing this research. So hopefully that's comforting in some way and that, it, you know, you could see that there is uh, serious people researching it. And, um, and I hope that if if anyone's interested in um, joining and doing experimentation with Heist, like you could find me um, at Yarbo, um or at Jared Jedi Camper on here, but I'd love to, to talk to you. And then just thank you, James. Like I'm, you've been like a, a mentor of mine or, you know, a mentor, but like someone I've looked up to for a long time. So I'm just humbled to be on your show. And thank you so much um, for all the wisdom you have given that you gave today and that you'll continue to give.
0: It's it's just on the note that I've been around a while. Eventually people are going to be coming to you for the, in the same way. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, uh, and, you know, I'm going to put your, uh, your Twitter handle and, and link in the description cool. uh, so people can find you and, um and, you know, keep up to date with you. So, uh, you know, Jared, thank you so much for the, the work that you're doing. I think, you know, I I love to see when people do this kind of thing with. Uh, I mean, I don't see it though with with CE five and heist. So I think you, this is a, a wonderful contribution to the the field of human initiated contact. So I I applaud your effort. I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing, and I look forward to what else you're you're going to be contributing in time. So thank you so much, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, James. All right, take care.